So it's a pleasure being here once again on a Monday and I would like to say thank you for all the persons that have listened in 2022 and as we are in 2023 a new year, new beginning, I welcome all new listeners and all previous listeners and do hope that it would bring some form of strength and encouragement and clarity for those who are seeking the truth. So it's a continuation from where I had stopped off last week where I spoke about the first Christ-related foundation of civilization in the Gospels and today I'll be speaking about the third Christ-related foundation of civilization which is the re-establishment of human government with a God-given mandate to punish all evildoers and to implement the death penalty for first-degree murder. So I know I forgot to say Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, 
So all the best for this new year and remember that we continue preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ, our King and our High Priest. So, So I'll sort that out after. Right? Um, so all scriptures will be read from the King James Version Bible. And to remind persons that they need to spend time on a daily basis in the Word because as time goes by, you can't pull the Bible in times of distress or affliction, but you must be able to remember scriptures and use it in those times. So, brethren, the third Christ-related foundational pillar of civilization in the gospel of the kingdom is the re-establishment of human government with the God-given mandate to maintain the death penalty for first-degree murder. So, without a doubt, brethren, the death penalty was surely in force in Jesus' day while he walked this earth. This fact can be easily verified by reading the following excerpts which the Holy Spirit inspired to be written in St. Mark's Gospel. So I'll be reading from Mark chapter 15 verse 7, which states, And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Now the penalty for murder then was the death penalty. However, since the custom at that time was that the governor could use his discretion sorry and pardon one convicted prisoner and release him it was thought that jesus who had killed no one would have been released but this did not happen for the chief priest and their other accomplices being fearful of their religion being replaced by the gospel of the kingdom persuaded the mob to ask for Barabbas' release so that Jesus could be crucified. And that was what actually happened. Barabbas, a murderer, was released, while Jesus, who raised three persons from the dead, was crucified. Now the prudent would, no doubt, ask, how is it that after Jesus had come, that what obtained under the old covenant still remained in force? And I must admit that this question is a reasonable one indeed. And so, this is the answer. Now, when one understands that Jesus' new covenant of the gospel of the kingdom 
was never meant to be an imposition, but an offer for whosoever will choose it. One would also have to understand that those who refuse Jesus' offer of salvation, which is the new covenant of the gospel of the kingdom provides, would have had no Holy Ghost on the inside, nor any external mechanism to control them spiritually, nor morally. Now with the unbelievers being without this internal sanctifying power of God in their spirits to restrain them, lawlessness would have escalated astronomically, then the world would have become virtually ungovernable as it is fast becoming today. Now to avoid the scenario that I just mentioned from becoming a reality, Christ has sanctioned human government in this dispensation of the gospel of the kingdom to ensure civility and to limit lawlessness among the nations of planet Earth. Now, although I know that my explanation prior would be enough to convince every reasonable-minded individual that my stated doctrinal position is sound, for the sake of the skeptics, I tender the following biblical confirmation to inform all and sundry that human government with its God ordained penalties must remain in force to curb lawlessness even in this dispensation of grace. So the following proof confirms, which I'll be reading from First Timothy chapter one, verses eight to nine. And it goes like this. We know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. So that's First Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Now, if, as verse 9 states, that the law is not made for a righteous man, be true, for whom then was the law made? And the answer is, for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, meaning homosexuals, lesbians, and transgenders, for men stealers, meaning like kidnappers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to some doctrine. So I just read from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 to 10. Now notice, if you will, that the doctrinal position was, as 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11 states, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So I just read 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. Brethren, from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, we also know that the law was originally introduced to be the God-ordained administrator of condemnation and death to be administered by human government. And the following proof confirms, which will be read from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 79, which states, But if the menstruation, meaning administrator of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. 
How shall not the ministration, meaning the administrator of the Spirit, be rather glorious? For if the ministration or administrator of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration or administrator or teacher of righteousness exceed in glory. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. So, from the verses that I just shared, therefore, it can be easily seen that whereas the believer in Jesus Christ is taught by and restrained by the unity of Christ within his or her born-again or regenerated spirit, the unsaved or unregenerate must be taught and or restrained by the law which was ordained by God to administer condemnation and death. So that's taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9. Because of the facts that I just shared from those scripture verses, therefore, human government was introduced by God and retained in the gospel to ensure civility on planet Earth. And this fact can be gleaned by reading the following scriptures, which is taken from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 2, and verses 4 to 7, and which states, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisted the power, resisted the ordinance of God, and they that resisted shall receive to themselves damnation. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon the very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. So that's Romans chapter 13 verses 1 to 2 and verses 4 to 7. So from the scripture that I just read in Romans chapter 13 verses 1 to 2 and verses 4 to 7, Therefore, we know that human government, which was introduced by God after the flood of Noah's day to curb lawlessness, was re-established and magnified in the gospel of the kingdom. And since from verse 4 of Romans chapter 13, we are informed that he beareth not the sword in vain, since he is the minister of God to execute wrath upon those that do evil. We know that the death penalty is retained in the gospel to punish evil doers. Now the reason why the death penalty was introduced by God after the flood and must be retained until death is finally destroyed is because of the following reasons and I'll be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 5. It states, In the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, 
traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such to the away. So that's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Now, in addition to the information that was just read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, Jesus himself taught the following. And uh, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 30, which states, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So that's Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 30. Now, anyone who knows his or her Bible well would know that the days of Noah, according to Genesis 6, was characterized by the following. Perversions, corruption, and violence. And the days of Lot were surely days in which homosexuality was the preferred way of life. Now, if human government was introduced to curb sin and punish the offender after the flood, if indeed the end time shall be characterized by a similar lifestyle, can't you see that if human governments do not function as God intended them to function, humanity, as we know it, cannot survive. So, for the reasons mentioned, Therefore, human government must be retained. And since the God-ordained punishment for first-degree murder was the death penalty, it is incumbent on all civilized governments to comply with sin. If they wish to maintain, if they wish to maintain civility and harmony in their respective communities and countries. And for those who wish to find out why and when God introduced the death penalty, in the first place, please read the following carefully. I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, <coughs> Excuse me. Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cried unto me from the ground. So that's Genesis chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Now notice, if you will, brethren. That the voice of the blood of the murdered cries out continually to God from the ground for vengeance. And the ground is thereby polluted, a factor that impacts its capacity to produce thereafter, as the following text shows. When thou tillest the ground, 
it shall not henceforth yield unto thee his strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. So that's Genesis chapter 4, verse 12. Now, since the Lord had not yet codified the crime of murder, Cain escaped being put to death for Abel's murder. However, in an effort to restrain wickedness in man, after the flood, God himself introduced the death penalty. And the following refers. So I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 to 6. At the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So that's Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 to 6. Now why, you ask? And the divinely given answer accordingly follows. For in the image of God made he man. So that's Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. So brethren, murder desecrates and denigrates the image of God and also disturbs him. Since the voice of the blood of the murdered cries out continually to God for vengeance. And if the blood of the murdered is not avenged by the shedding of the blood of the murderer, more murders will be spurred. And in addition to that, the ground would remain polluted and its bearing capacity would be negatively impacted. So that's Genesis chapter 4, verse 12, if persons do not agree with me. So, this latter fact finds scriptural ventilation in the following unambiguous excerpts. And I'll be reading from Numbers chapter 35, verses 38 to 31. And it states, Whoso killeth any person, the murderer shall be put to death by the mouth of witnesses. But one witness shall not testify against any person to cause him to die. Moreover, he shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer which is guilty of death, but he shall be surely put to death. So I just read from Numbers chapter 35, verses 30 to 31. Why is God insisting on the carrying out of the death penalty? One might ask, and the answer is, but the reason is, I'll be reading from Numbers chapter 35, verses 33 to 34. So ye shall not pollute the land wherein ye are, for blood it defileth the land, and the land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. Defile not therefore the land which ye shall inhabit, wherein I dwell. For I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. So that's Numbers chapter 35, verses 33 to 34. Now, I want persons to follow and understand me for those who might have missed or just want a recap of it. I did this segment on the third foundational pillar of civilization, which is the God-instituted establishment of governmental authority to carry out the death penalty for first-degree murder. And I read from Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, and Numbers chapter 35, verses 30 to 33. Now, if you go back to that segment, or if you remember what was actually said there, you will notice that because King Saul had murdered the innocent Gibeonites, the voices of dear blood crying out to God caused Israel to experience a protracted three-year famine in King David's day. And that famine only ended 
after seven descendants of King Saul were also killed. Now, can't you see what shall happen to those countries which have abolished the death penalty, citing human rights as their reason? I want persons to read Psalm 11, verses 3 to 6, and see what God says he will do. When his foundational pillars of civilization are destroyed, and know what policies you can support without angering the creator, sustainer, judge, and supreme governor of this universe, including, of course, planet Earth. So, from what was shared here today in this segment, therefore, one can readily understand why Christ relayed the third foundational pillar of civilization, which is the re-establishment of civil government with the God-given mandate to carry out the death penalty for first-degree murder. So, brethren, I trust that all who are on the Lord's side shall hear and fear and act accordingly. So, that's the end of my segment today. I will be live next week, Monday, again. And I shall continue the fourth Christ-related foundation of civilization in the gospel. So, stay tuned and logged on to hear the fourth foundation of civilization in the gospel so it's a pleasure being here once again have a safe and productive week we are in a new year so if you did not spend time in reading the word make it your duty this year to read at least two to three scriptures a day to strengthen you spiritually and now your spiritual growth so love you jesus christ love you and bye for now.